All right, well, we're there in Job chapter number 9, and of course, on Wednesday nights, we've been preaching through the book of Job, one chapter at a time, and uh, we've been learning about um, the book of Job, and if you recall, uh, most of the book of Job is a conversation between Job and his three friends. Later on, there's a fourth uh, guy who also enters the conversation, but it's this going back and forth, and in uh, chapter 8, we had Bildad, the Shuhite, uh, who spoke for the first time. And, of course, the friends give a lot of the similar uh, accusations to Job. They're basically b- blaming him, saying he must have done something wrong uh, for this to be happening to him, and teaching a prosperity gospel that if you live right, everything will be right. And, of course, we know that not to be true. And we've been just kind of highlighting different things that they say. In chapter 9, we have Job responding uh, to Bildad, uh, the Shuhite. And in this chapter, it's interesting because this is not a chapter that's super well known for the book of Job, uh, but there's some really interesting things in here I'm going to point out to you uh, towards the end of the sermon, but I, I kind of want to give you the, the outline and, and, and the, the main uh, message of this chapter. And in this chapter, Job kind of articulates um, how futile or how pointless it is to go against God. Uh, because sometimes in life, you and I find ourselves in situations that we do not control, that we cannot control. Things happen, decisions are made by other people, or actions are taken by other people, or things happen, and we can't control it. We have no control over it. And in those situations, in those times, uh, we can uh, get very angry at God, we can get very bitter. In fact, Job refers to the fact that he's dealing with bitterness. And in this chapter, though, because we know that Job is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, everything he says is correct. At the end of the book, God says, hey, Job was right. That doesn't mean he was sinless. We're going to see that tonight. Um, But Job kind of gives us, as he responds to Bildad, he gives us some thoughts here that generate perspective in regards to uh, you know, dealing with God or just how pointless it is to try to go against God. Uh, so when you are suffering, he explains in this chapter, when we are suffering at the hands of God, there's no point in trying to fight God. And he explains this to us. And it sounds uh, a little, uh, you know, discouraging, but it's actually encouraging as believers when we realize who God is and who we are and our places and our positions uh, within God. So let me give, I'm going to give you four points, and at the end of the sermon, I'm going to give you um, just some interesting things in this chapter. But uh, four thoughts in regards to why it's futile, why it's pointless to fight against God, to go against God, to get mad at God when things are not going uh, your way. So notice there in Job chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says this, Then Job answered and said, I know it is, of, it is uh, so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? And we're actually going to come back to that verse in a little bit. But I want you to notice in verse number 3, he says this, If he, and the he there is referring to man, to himself or to mankind, he says, if he will contend with him, the word uh, contend there means to fight or argue with, and the him there is referring to God. So he says, if he will contend with him, he says, he cannot answer him. So he says, man cannot answer God. And then he says this, one of a thousand. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you and I entered into a debate with God, if we tried to enter into a debate with God, God would give a thousand arguments and we wouldn't be able to answer one of them. 
He says, you and I, and this was point number one for those of you taking notes, and I encourage you to write down notes, and on back your course week you can do that. He says, Job says, you cannot argue with God. He says, you cannot argue with God, and, 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 and the underlying kind of thought on that is that not only can you and I not argue with God, but the reason that we don't get to argue with God is because God doesn't answer to you, and God doesn't answer to me. And God doesn't answer to Job. And Job says, he says, if he will contend with him, if man will contend with God, uh, he says, he cannot answer him. He says, man cannot answer God one of a thousand. And this is a theme that uh, we see in this chapter. In fact, skip down to verse number 12. We're going to cover every verse in this chapter, but we might not do it uh, in in chronological order because I want you to see this theme. Job chapter 9, verse 12. Notice what Job says. He says, behold... He taketh away uh, who can hinder him. We'll come back to that in a minute. He says, who will say unto him, what doest thou? So he says, Job asks this question. He says, who can question God? He says, who can walk up to God and ask God this question, what doest thou? Because when you ask somebody the question, what doest thou? Or when you ask the question, what are you doing? Doesn't that kind of land to some sort of an authority position? Right? You walk up to your kids and say, what are you doing? And the answer is usually nothing. (laughs) So you find something for them to do, right? You ask an employee, what are you doing? You, You ask somebody under your authority, what are you doing? And here Job says, he says, he says, who will say unto him, what doest thou? If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. Notice verse 14. He says, how much less shall I answer him? He says, look, I can't answer God. You can't answer God. We do not get to argue with God. He says, and choose out my words. He says, how much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him? Notice verse 15. Whom though I were righteous, yet would I not answer. And we're going to come back to this idea of being righteous uh, later on in the sermon. But he says, even if I were righteous and Job actually is righteous, he says, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. Verse 16, he says, if I had called and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice. And what Job is really saying is he's saying this because he's talking to his friends, right? And his friends are saying, all this bad stuff's happening to you, Job. It's your fault, you know, and uh, God's doing this because, because, of, uh, be, because of your sin. And Job is explaining to them, you know, and he's going to make the point, like he continues to make throughout the book, that he's righteous, that he's perfect, that he's upright, not that he's without sin, but that he hasn't done anything, you know, that big, a major sin in his life to merit this response from God. But he's explaining to his friends, he says, look, You cannot argue with God. I cannot argue with God. Even if I think I'm innocent, even if I think I'm righteous, I can't respond to God or demand a response from God. And look, it's just good for you and I to understand this in life. And this is why the book of Job is good for us, because when somebody's going through these trials and going through these struggles, it's hard to kind of say this to them, right? When somebody's going through a real difficult time, we want to be careful and we want to be graceful and we don't want to be mean and rude in the way we're, we don't want to be Bildad the height, right? We don't want to be Job's friends. But, you know, if you're not going through a major trial right now, it's good for you to just learn this uh, lesson that you cannot argue with God. 
and that God doesn't owe you an answer. And that God can pretty much do whatever God wants to do, and you and I cannot contend with him. We cannot answer him one of a thousand. Now keep your place there in the book of Job, if you would, and go with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number nine. And we find this concept in Romans nine as well. I've I've showed this to you in other sermons, but it's always good for us to see it again. Romans chapter nine. When something bad happens in your life. Just remember this, God doesn't answer to you. God doesn't have to answer to you. God can do whatever he wants, and you say, well, that's not very uh, fair. Well, it's interesting because Job actually deals with that question uh, in this chapter as well, and we'll look at it. But just know this, point number one, you cannot argue with God. God doesn't answer to you. Romans chapter 9, verse 20, notice what the Bible says. Romans 9, 20, nay, but, O man... This is Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, speaking to mankind. He says, listen, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? The word repliest means to reply or to say something in response. And some people are like this, right? They always have to say something. They always have some comeback. They always have to get the last word in. But he says, who art thou that repliest against God? And then he says this. He says, let me explain this to you. This is what Paul Paul is saying, he says, Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? He says, look, will the creation look at the creator and ask this question, What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why have you done this to me? Why have you made me this way? Why hast thou made me thus? Look at verse 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? And here's what he's saying. And look, we, under, we have to understand. And you say, uh, this might be discouraging. And I get it. It's, it's a little discouraging. The book of Job is a little discouraging. But it's actually encouraging if you uh, learn this in your life that I am the clay, God is the potter. I am the creation, God is the creator. I am, uh, God doesn't answer to me, God doesn't owe me an answer, God doesn't have to explain anything to me, God can do whatever he wants. Here's what Job is saying, he's saying, you cannot argue with God, and by the way, God doesn't owe you an answer. The potter has power over the clay. He is the potter, you are the clay. And at any time and at any moment, God can do whatever he wants, and God's always right. Go to Job chapter 9, if you would. Let me give you the second point tonight. Number one, Job says to us, you cannot argue with God. God doesn't answer to you. Number two, he says this. You cannot harden yourself against God, because it won't end well for you. Notice Job chapter 9 and verse 4. He says this. He, and the he there is referring to God. And by the way, let me just point this out right now. You'll notice that um, Job in this chapter is, uh, 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 when he speaks about God, he speaks about God in the third person. He says he or him. And that's important to be able to differentiate when he stops talking about God and starts talking about his friends because he speaks to his friends in the second person, thou. He refers, refers to them as you. And so he's, we see here that he's talking about God, verse 4. He says he is wise in heart. And Job, over the next few verses here, kind of develops this idea. He says, God is smarter than you are. He says, you can't answer God, right? He gives you a thousand arguments, and you can't even answer one. 
He gives you a thousand. By, by the time, you know, you can't even get an answer to one and he's already given you a thousand. Then he says this, he is wise in heart, referring to God. And here's what he's saying. He's saying God is smarter than you. Then he says this, and mighty in strength. And he says, not only is God smarter than you, God is stronger than you. He says, you can't answer God because God is smarter than you are and smarter than I am. God is stronger than you are and stronger than I am. And you say, okay, well, this, isn't very, this doesn't sound very nice. Well, look, I'm, I, I don't have a problem with God being smarter than me. And you and I shouldn't have... He's not saying your enemy is smarter than you and stronger than you. He's not saying your enemy is uh, smarter than you and stronger than you. But he is saying God is stronger and smarter than you. And st- stronger and smarter than me. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. And then notice he continues this idea. Uh, he says, who have hardened himself against him? Now here's the thing. I want you to notice. It's who hath hardened himself against him, comma, not question mark. Now it is a question and there's a question mark later on. But he doesn't end the question there. Because if you ask the question, who have hardened themselves against him? The answer is lots of people. Lots of people have hardened themselves against God. But that's not the question. He says this, who have hardened himself against him and have prospered? And the answer to that question is no one. Because you cannot harden yourself against God. See, he says you cannot argue with God. God doesn't owe you an answer. Then he says you cannot harden yourself against God because it won't end well for you. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered. And then he continues with this idea that God is stronger and God is smarter. Look at verse 5. Which removeth the mountains. He says, he says you want to harden yourself against God. He says, remember, God is the guy which removeth the mountains. He says, he's stronger than you are. And they know not. He says, God gets rid of a mountain and people, they sit around wondering, I wonder, wonder what happened to that mountain. And they know not. He says, God is stronger and God is smarter, which overturneth them in his anger. He says in verse 6, which shaketh the earth out of her place and the pillars thereof tremble. He says, he's stronger than you are. Which commandeth the sun and it riseth not and sealeth up the stars. He says, look, he's stronger. He's powerful. He's able to do things that you and I are not able to do. Verse 8, he says, which alone spreadeth out the heavens. He's smarter than you are. He says, look, when God spread, spread out the heavens, he didn't need anybody's help. He did it all by himself. Which alone spread out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. He says, he's smarter than you. He says, he's stronger than you. Verse 9, he says, which maketh Arcturus and Orion and Pleiades and the chambers of the south. And of course, those are all references to constellations. He says, he's the one that made him. He said, look up in heaven. That's what God did. He says he's stronger and he's smarter. Look at verse 10. Which doeth great things. He doeth great things. Why? Because he's stronger. And he doeth great things past finding out. He, do, he does great things. That's his strength. And we can't even figure it out. That's his wisdom. He's stronger and he's smarter. Yea, and wonders without number. So he says, look. God is smarter, 
and God is stronger. And again, here, you say, I don't like the idea about not being able to argue with God. Well, you won't mind the idea about not arguing with God when you realize that God is smarter than you, and God is stronger than you, and God doesn't need to answer to you. And by the way, you cannot harden yourself against God. You say, well, yes, I can. Okay, let's rephrase it. You cannot harden yourself against God and be okay. Because it won't end well for you. And I want you to notice that he says there, who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered. Hey, young people, you need to listen up right now. You're a teenager listening to my voice. You just get this in your head. Who hath hardened himself against God and hath prospered? I can show you a lot of young people that hardened themselves against God. I can't show you one that did it and prospered. You cannot harden yourself against God and prosper. Go to the book of Psalms, if you would, Psalm 95. You're there in Job, in the book of Psalms, especially if you're saved. When you and I got saved, God became our Heavenly Father, and we just play the game of life by different rules. The the wicked prosper, and the wicked get away with all sorts of wicked things, but you know what? They're going to die and go to hell. But you have a heavenly father who will chastise you, who will correct you, who will, you just play by a different game. So he says, look, here's what Job is saying. Job is saying, when you're going through a difficult time, when you're going through some hard things that come into your life that you don't know what's happening or why it's happening, just remember this. Remember that you cannot argue with God because God does not owe you an answer. And be careful about hardening your heart towards God. Because that's what we often do, right? When we feel like we've been wronged by God, when God has not done us right, when we don't understand why God has done something to us, we, uh, we want to argue with God, but God doesn't owe you an answer. And then oftentimes we make our hearts hard towards God. But Job would say, don't do that. You can do it, but you won't prosper. You can do it, but it won't end well for you. Now, let's just define this real quickly, you know. What is a hard heart? And usually when we talk about a hard heart, we talk about reprobates, and that's definitely an aspect of it. Unsaved people can harden their hearts towards God. If you remember the story of Pharaoh, Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God, and then God hardened his heart as well. But, you know, saved people can harden their hearts too. Obviously, saved people are not going to lose their salvation or harden themselves to the point where they become a reprobate. But the hardening of your heart just means that you are callous, or unreceptive to the things of God. Psalm 95, let me give you an example, or we'll we'll use the Bible to define itself. Psalm 95, look at verse 8. Notice what the psalmist says. He says, harden not your hearts. Now he's going to give us an example of when somebody, or when a group of people harden their hearts. He says, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. Notice verse 9, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. So here the psalmist tells us, hey, don't harden your hearts. And then he gives us an example of someone that hardened their hearts or a group that hardened their hearts. He says, like your fathers did in the wilderness. And he's referring to the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness uh, with Moses. So here's what he tells us. The congregation that wandered in the wilderness with Moses, they hardened their hearts. Well, what does that mean? What did they do? Go to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 31. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 31, and look at verse number 27. We already know this group hardened their hearts, so let's see what they did. 
Well, I want to show you in Deuteronomy 32, it uses another word that is synonymous with hardening your heart, and it's uh, stiff neck, or being stiff-necked. And it's the same idea that you're just kind of, I'm just going to not yield to God. Deuteronomy 31, verse 27, notice what the Bible says. For I know thy rebellion. Deuteronomy 31, verse 27. For I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. So what, what were they doing? They were rebelling against God. What does it mean to, be, uh, to have a hard heart? It means that you are rebelling against God. It means that you say, I know what God wants. I know what God says. I know what the Bible says, but I don't care. I'm going to harden my heart. I'm going to stiffen my neck. I'm not going to yield to God, and I'm going to rebel against Him. He says, For I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. Behold, while I am yet alive with you this day, notice he says, Ye have been rebellious against the Lord, and how much more after my death. And here's what Job is saying. Job is saying, even if things aren't going well, even if you don't get answers to your questions, even if you don't understand why these bad things are happening in your life, and God is a allowing them in your life. He says, don't harden your heart. Don't rebel against God. Don't get a stiff neck and say, no, I won't listen. I won't yield. He says, it won't end well for you. I want to show you the opposite of a hardened heart, and that is a tender heart. Go to 2 Chronicles, if you would, 2 Chronicles 34. And look at verse number 26. If you're there in Deuteronomy, you have Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. If you can find those one, two books, they're all clustered together there. 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Samuel, excuse me, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. 2nd Chronicles 34, look at verse 26. Here we have God speaking to one of the kings of Judah. 2nd Chronicles 34, 26. And as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall ye say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which thou hast heard. Notice what God says. Verse 27. Because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his word against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and notice this word, humblest thyself before me, and didst rent thy clothes and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. See, a hardened heart is a heart that is hardened to the things of God. So you hear the Bible preaching. You read what the Bible says, and you say, I don't care. And here's what that looks like. It looks like someone who's rebellious, who's rebelling against what God says. I know what the Bible says. I know what the pastor said. I know what my parents said. I know what the law said. I know what God wants me to do, but I don't care. I'm just going to try it and see how it works out. Well, look, I can tell you right now, it won't work out well. Who hath hardened himself against God and hath prospered? And the answer is no one. But when someone has a tender heart, what does that mean? That means that when God pricks you, you feel it. Tender means you're sensitive to it. It means when God pricks your heart, you're you're, you're sensitive to what God has to say. When you're corrected by the Word of God, when you're corrected by the Bible preaching, when you're corrected by your authority figures, your heart is tender towards that. You say, "What what, what is the characteristic that comes from that heart? It's humility. It's a humble person. Who says, yeah, I was wrong. See, when, when the pastor, the man of God, the preacher gets up and preaches on your sin, and you get mad and say, I don't like him preaching those things. 
You know what you have? A hard heart. Look, if, if the pastor got up and preached the Bible and proved it to you from the Bible, you don't have the right, you say, I'm going to argue with, God, with, with the pastor. You're not arguing with the pastor, you're arguing with God. And by the way, in case we didn't cover it, you cannot argue with God. God doesn't answer to you. So look, if the man of God is preaching the word of God, if he's showing you what the Bible says, and you say, I don't like it, go ahead and get mad at the pastor all day want, or all you want. But the truth is this, you are rebellious, and your heart is hard. Your, your heart is hard, excuse me. And God says you won't prosper. But you know what? Someone with a tender heart, they respond with humility. They say, wow, you're right. I was wrong. And look, I don't really understand. You know, people come to church like this, and then they get mad when I preach against their sin. It's like, what did you expect? <laughs> they come to a church like this, and then I preach something they don't like, and they're all mad and offended. It's like, that's the only thing we got going for us. Do you know that? <laughs> like, that's like the only thing we do. That's the only ministry we offer. Like, you know, it's like, why do you come here? I thought the whole point of coming to church like this, you know, if you want a church where you can just get affirmed in every stupid sin you're in, you can find a million of them. The whole point of coming to church like this is to have somebody rebuke you and tell you you're wrong and say, no, that's not what the Bible says. I mean, why do you come here for our facilities? I sure hope not. Why do you come here? For, our, you know, for our, our, our uh, what? Our children's ministry? We got none. The, the, the only thing we got going for us is we preach the word of God. So look, wouldn't you think, look, I want to go to a church. I remember when I wasn't a pastor, I loved when the pastor ripped on me. Made me feel bad. Because I needed to change. Because I needed to grow. But a tender heart says, man, you're right. Responds with humility. A hard heart just gets stiffened and rebels against God. But the problem with that, and listen, young people, please hear this. The problem with that is you won't end well. It won't end well for you. You're there in 2 Chronicles uh, 34. Look at 2 Chronicles 30. Look at verse 8. Here's the opposite. Here's the opposite of a hard heart and a tender heart. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 8. Look at it. Now be ye not stiff-necked. We already saw that the word stiff-necked and hard-hearted are synonymous. He says, now be not stiff-necked as your fathers were. He says, but yield yourselves unto the Lord. And enter into his sanctuary, which he had sanctified forever. And serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. And whenever I read this word stiff-necked, and tender heart, you know, and, and I realize that God says it's not going to end well for you. Let me just explain to you why that is. Okay, and we've been covering it in the sermon. Here's why it's not going to end well for you. Because God is smarter and stronger than you are. And here's the thing. And whenever I, I you know, read that word stiff neck, I think to myself, you know, they, they tell you this if, if you're uh, in a car accident, if you're some sort of an accident, you know, right before impact, don't get real stiff because you'll injure yourself more. You know, you want to kind of just kind of relax to the best of your ability because that impact, the, 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 the more stiff you are, the more damage. So look, and here's what God's saying. God says, I'm going to come into your life like a car accident. I'm going to come like a train, you know, heading in your direction. And here's the thing. You can sit there and say, all right, God, let's play chicken. And God says, okay, chicken. 
And you can sit there and say, I'm going to stiffen myself. But here's the problem. When God hits you, if you're stiff, you'll break. You say, what should I do when God hits me? Yield. Fall. Be tender. Say, you're right, God. I can't argue with you. You don't owe me an answer, and it's not in my best interest to get hardened against you. Go back to Job chapter 9. Let me give you the third, third thought from this chapter. I said, number one, you cannot argue with God. God has an answer to you. I said, number two, you cannot harden yourself against God because it won't end well for you. Here's point number three. You cannot stop God. And we've already kind of talked about that with the stiff neck illustration. You cannot stop God. And you know what God does? God does whatever God wants. Job chapter 9 and verse 11, notice what the Bible says. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I taken away from him. When his wife says, curse God and die, when his friends say, this is all your fault, Job's had a lot taken away from him. And I want you to notice what Job says in verse 12. He says, behold, he taketh away, who can hinder him? He says, if God decides to take something from you, you can't stop him. Because you can't stop God, because God does whatever God wants. Behold, he taketh away, who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, what doest thou? Verse 13, if God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. Here's what he's saying. If God does not withdraw his anger, there's nothing you can do about it. He says, verse 14, how much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason uh, with him. Look at verse 17. He says, For he breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds without cause. He will not suffer me. He says, He will not allow me to take my breath, but filleth me with bitterness. Job is telling us that he's dealing with bitterness as a result. And we know, look, Job never curses God. Job never charges God foolishly in this entire book, but there are definitely things that happen in Job's life that are not pleasing to the Lord, and bitterness is one of them. Verse 19, and and we'll look at that later on in the book. Verse 19, notice what Job says. He says, if I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. Because remember, he's stronger. And if I of judgment, who shall set me a time to plead? So he says, look, you cannot stop God. I don't know about you, but I, I find this fascinating. If I could talk to Job and say, hey, Job. When I go through a difficult time, what should I keep in mind? Here's what Job would say. Keep these things in mind. You cannot argue with God. God doesn't owe you an answer. You cannot harden your heart against God because God will break you. Because God is stronger and smarter. So just yield. You cannot stop God. God does what God wants. Go to Isaiah 14 real quickly. Look at verse 27. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah 14 and verse 27. Going on with this idea that you cannot stop God. God does what God wants. God does whatever he wants to do. Isaiah 14, 27. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed. Look, when God wants to do something, for the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? The word disannul means to make void. Because when God decides to do something, nobody makes it void. Nobody stops it. He says, and his hand is stretched out. 
who shall turn it back? He said, when God reaches out his hand to touch someone, when God reaches out his hand to do something, when God reaches out his hand, look, he says, and his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? And the answer is no one. Nobody can turn the hand of God back. You can't stop God. So just just realize this. Because things happen, right? Things happen in our lives, and we're like, man, you know, I can think of one coronavirus. Messed up everybody's life, right? Messed up everybody's plans. Messed up everybody. And you can sit there and get bitter and angry and I'll tell you about these masks. Or you can just say, you know what? God is God. God does whatever he wants. God doesn't get on my plan. I get on God's plan. And sometimes I make plans, and I'm all for making plans and being organized, but sometimes God takes your little plans and shreds them up, and then we look at God and say, okay, God, I can't argue with you because you don't owe me an answer. And I better not harden myself against you because that's just going to make things worse. And I can't stop God from doing whatever God wants to do because God does whatever God wants. Let me give you the fourth thought. Go back to Job chapter 9. Job says this, and he mentions it at the beginning of the book, but he really delves into it, excuse me, at the beginning of the chapter, but he really delves into it towards the end of the chapter, and I'll show it to you where he says it, because this really is the crux of it. Because you and I, you know, if Bildad and Eliphaz, if these guys were right, if we were Job and we knew, yeah, this is happening because I'm backslidden because of major sin. And by the way, God does do that. God chastises and you can reap what you sow. And we can definitely agree that these things can happen as a result of sin. But Job is saying, no, I haven't done anything wrong. I've been doing the best I can. I've been walking with God to the best of my ability. God tells us at the beginning of the book in heaven, Job, of course, didn't hear this, but God tells us over and over again that Job is upright, that he's perfect, he's mature, he's well-balanced. And if you and I were looking at somebody who actually had sinned, and as a result of their sin, bad things were happening to them, we wouldn't have a problem with, well, you can't argue with God if you're in a D, you, you're, you got a DUI for being a drunkard. You can't harden yourself against God. It's your fault. You can't stop God. See, we don't have a problem with those arguments if we feel like we deserve it. Here's the question. What if you don't deserve it? Or let me rephrase it. What if you think you don't deserve it? Job would say, you still don't get to argue with God. You still shouldn't get bitter and harden yourself against God. You still need to understand that you cannot stop God. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. You ready? Here's point four. You cannot be just before God. Not on your own. Not by your own merit. And look, we're talking here, practically speaking, positionally, when you're saved, you are just before God. You say, ah, Pastor, I'm just before God. You are just before God because you are in Christ. That's the only reason. By your own standing, by your own standing, you cannot be just with God. And here's the point. Here's what Job would say. At the end of the day, At the end of the day, no matter how good I am and no matter how bad I have it, I cannot be just, man cannot be just before God. That means you and I never get to say it's not fair. We and I never get to say it's not fair. You know why? Because only innocent people get to say it's not fair. And you and I are not innocent. 
Notice what he says, Job chapter 9, verse 15. He says, whom though I were righteous, and Job actually is righteous. He says, even if I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. He says, look, these things are happening to me. They're not my fault. Verse 17, for he breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds. Notice, without cause. Job says, I haven't done anything to deserve this. All these things are happening to me without cause. Verse 18, he will not suffer me to take my breath, but filleth me with bitterness. Verse 19, if I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. And if of judgment, he says, if I try to talk to God about judgment, if I try to go to God and say, hey, God, listen, you're not being very just here. I haven't done anything wrong. You're hurting me without cause. You're multiplying my wounds without cause. I am righteous. He says, look, look at that part of verse 19. If He says, if I speak to God, if I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. And if of judgment, he says, who shall set a time to plead? He says, look, if I walk up to God and try to talk to God about justice, When do I get my day in court? When do I get to subpoena God? When do I, not when do I get my day in court like God's the judge, because we're all going to have that day. When do we get our day in court where we put God on trial? And the answer is never. Because you're not innocent. Because the only one who's righteous is God. Look at verse 20. If I justify myself, Mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. Though I were perfect. He says, look, even though I am mature, even though I have grown, even though I do try to walk with God, he says, even though I have been just, if I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. And even if I say I'm perfect, it shall prove me perverse. Here's what's interesting. An interesting thought there is this. There are some things that may be true of you until the moment you acknowledge them or say them. Do you understand that? Say, give me an example. Okay. You may be humble to the moment you tell somebody you're humble then you're no longer humble. Job says, hey, I, I, could be, I could justify myself, but then my own mouth shall condemn me. I could say that I am perfect, but it, would, it shall also prove me perverse. Though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul, I would despise my life. Notice verse 23, if the scourge slays suddenly, he will laugh. Please, please understand. Look, you got you to gotta understand this verse. If the scourge slay suddenly, scourge is like getting whipped, getting beat. He says, if you're just going by your merry way and all of a sudden you get beat and you cry out and say, I didn't deserve this, God. I'm innocent. I'm righteous. You shouldn't have done this. You're wrong. I'm going to subpoena you. I'll see you in court. He will laugh at the trial of the innocent. He said, what does that mean? Here's what he's saying. When you and I walk into court, right? And I think virtually everyone pretty much walks into court and says, I'm innocent. Right? Everybody in prison is innocent. Everybody on trial is innocent. I'm innocent. God laughs. And here's the thing. Even if you are innocent, God laughs. You know why? Because no one's innocent. I didn't do anything. God says, oh, you've done something. You may have not done what you, you know, what you think you should have done to get this, but you've done something. 
Go to 1 John, if you would. 1 John chapter 1, towards the end of the New Testament, going backwards from Revelation. Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, 1 John. 3rd, 2nd John, and then 1 John. While you go there, I'll read to you from Romans 1 on verses. You know them. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all God out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Isn't that interesting? God says no one does good. You say, I'm a pretty good person. And you may be a pretty good person in comparison to other people. But in comparison to the one who actually is good, whose moral attributes say, he is good, God is good. In comparison to God, he says, you're not even close to good. He says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, there is none righteous. That's why I think it's funny. You know, kids get upset because their parents spank them accidentally, you know. They, they spank them and they, they spank the wrong kid. And, you know, obviously we should try to not do that, okay, parents? Try to control your anger. Do some due diligence. Don't make, like the last Job sermon, don't make assumptions. And, you know, we should try to not do that. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. If you get spanked and you didn't do anything wrong, the truth is you've done something. <laughs> I mean, you got away with something that you didn't get a spanking for, right? Isn't this is what Job is saying? Job is saying, I'm perfect, but I'm not going to say I'm righteous, but I'm not going to express it. I'm innocent, but I'm not actually innocent. And here's the whole point. God is never wrong. And you and I are never actually right or righteous. First John 1 verse 8. Notice what John says. If we say that we have no sin... If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The point that Job is making is this, that you cannot be, man cannot be just before God. And what that means is this, you are not innocent. You and I are not innocent, so anything, look, if, if, I, if I get saved and God takes away hell as a punishment, eternal punishment, and then everything else falls apart, I'm still good. God has still blessed me more than I could ever thank him for. If everything else falls apart and I die and go to heaven, God has not done me wrong. Because God does not owe you anything. God does not answer. He does not owe you an answer. Look, God does not owe you a job. God does not owe you a house. God does not owe you a vehicle. God does not owe you your health. God does not owe you. Just get that in your head. So when things don't go well, when the house is taken and the health goes and the kids go and the marriage goes, when it all goes away, Job says, I'm really not that innocent. And it's interesting because Job is actually the most right with God guy on planet Earth at this moment. And he says, I'm not that good. Everything that has came could be justified. Because he says this, Job chapter 9. I've got to hurry this thing up. Job 9, look at verse 22. Here's what he says. And here's another thing that you need to understand and it'll just help you in your Christian life. Bad and good things 
happen to both bad and good people. Job 9.22, look what he says. This is one thing, therefore I said it. You know, he's like, there I said it. What'd you say, Job? He destroyed the perfect and the wicked. Here's what he's saying. God, look, God can destroy the perfect. God can destroy the wicked. God can bring judgment upon the perfect. God can bring judgment upon the wicked. And God is always justified. You know that bad and good things happen to both bad and good people? And this is what he says in verse 2. He says, I know it is so of a truth. He says, but how should man be just with God? And the answer is there's only one way to be just with God, and it's through Jesus Christ. We'll actually look at that here in a minute. But I want you to notice, if you go, go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. Matthew 5, 45 in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. I got... I'm not even going to say how much time I got. We'll just, let's just go with it. Matthew 5.45. Matthew 5.45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh... Look, look, look. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. See, you and I, we like to complain when bad things happen. And we say, God! I didn't do anything to deserve this. But what about all the good things that God brought in your life that we didn't say, God, I didn't do anything to deserve this. Right? I mean, so many good things are brought into our life. And by the way, it'll help you with bitterness. It'll help you with bitterness if you sit there and you you say, oh, well, my wife or my husband or my parents or my employer or my pastor. Look, it's funny how, you know, you, you do one thing that somebody doesn't like and it just ruins the whole relationship. It's like you've been there for years for them. You've prayed for them. You've helped, you know, as a pastor, I've helped people grow and learn. I've taught them all sorts of things from the Bible. They're just like, wow. I've learned so much, and then you preach one thing they don't like, and it's like, I'm done with you. What kind of person are you? Your parents, you know, they've been there for you your whole life. They changed your diaper. They fed you. They clothed you. Maybe they made one mistake. Maybe they did. They had one bad day or one bad week or one bad year. You know what? God is good to you when you don't deserve it. And when he's bad to you, you actually do deserve it. Because bad and good things happen to both bad and good people. So you got to ask this question. Go, go back to Job chapter 9. Because Job tells us this. He says, you cannot argue with God. God doesn't owe you an answer. You cannot harden yourself against God. It's not going to end well for you. You cannot stop God. God does whatever God wants. And you cannot be just before God. Because nobody can actually say, I, it's not fair, I'm innocent, because nobody is innocent. So you've got to ask this question. You say, well, what do you do with this God? I mean, what, what do you and I do with this God, this God whom you cannot argue with, who, whom you cannot harden yourself against, who you cannot stop, and you cannot be innocent, right? Because these are all the cards we play. When God does something we don't like, we argue with him. Or when an authority figure does something we don't like, we argue with them. And if that doesn't work, then we say, well, fine, I'm just going to harden myself against you. And when that doesn't work, we try to stop him, but you can't stop him. And then, and then when that doesn't work, then we play the innocent card, like, feel sorry for me. And God's like, I don't feel sorry for you. Your sins put my son on the cross. <laughs> so what do you do? 
With this God who you cannot argue with, harden yourself against, stop, or be innocent before. What do you do? Two things. He tells us in this chapter. Look at verse 13. If God will not withdraw his anger, if you can't stop it, you can argue yourself out of it, you can't force him to stop, you're not innocent enough for him to stop. If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. Stoop under means to come below or to submit. You say, what do you do with this God that you cannot argue with and you cannot harden yourself against and you can't stop him and you can't be innocent enough to stop him? What do you do? He says, here's what you do. You submit. You do stoop under him. You submit yourself to God. And there's another thing. Look at verse 15. Whom though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. You say, what do you do with this God? You submit to him and you make supplication to him because that's really all the right we have to do. Because God is God and you're not. And God does what he wants and whatever God wants is right. And Job is telling his friends here, he's saying, look, I haven't done anything, but I'm not going to say that. Because none of us is actually innocent. Let me just real quickly give you some things. i got to finish this thing up. Let me give you some thoughts here, um, some interesting things from this, this chapter. Verse 24, we'll just kind of run through some of these quickly. Job 9.24, the earth is given into the hands of the wicked. We'll talk about that on Sunday morning, all right? He covered the faces of the judges thereof. It is not, we talked about that Sunday, last Sunday morning. If not, where and who is he? Look at verse 25. Now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away. They, sue, uh, they see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships and as the eagle that hastes to the prey. And we talked about that in another uh, sermon on and Job, talking about the days fleeing. Luke verse 27, he says, If I say I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou. And I want you to notice the word thou there, because the entire time he's been talking about God, he's been referring to God as him or he. Now he says thou, he's talking to Bildad. Remember his friends, he's talking to his friends. And he says, he says, look, if I say I will forget my complaint, he says, if I try to get over this and I'll leave, leave my heaviness and comfort myself, he said, I'm afraid of all my sorrow. I know that thou will, hold, will not hold me innocent. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shall thou, he's talking to his friends, Plunge me in the ditch, and my own clothes shall abhor me. He's just talking about being around the, his negative friends. He says, even if I try to clean myself up, you're just going to put me back in the ditch. You know? And some people are like that. They, just, they never want you to succeed. They never want you to better yourself. They're just always trying to like, make you uh, worse. And that's what his friends are doing to him. That's what he's saying. Verse 32, uh, here's what I really want you to focus on. He says, he says, for he is not a man, referring to God. He is not a man. Because remember, when he's talking to his friends, he says, thou. But when he says he or him, he's talking to God. He says for, or about God. He is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. And it's the same idea he's been saying this whole time. God is God. I'm not. He's the potter. I'm the clay. He doesn't owe me an answer. He, I can't stop him from doing whatever he wants. But then he says this in verse 33. He says, neither is there any daysman. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us. And the word daysman is an archaic word. We're actually going to talk about this probably this Sunday night, maybe next Sunday night, but uh, talking about Jesus, why he had to be 100% God and 100% man at the same time. 
because he says, neither is there any daysman betwixt us. And the word daysman is an older, archaic word. It's uh, the same idea that you and I would think of if we thought about like a referee or an umpire, um, someone who uh, settles arguments. He says, neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Job is saying, there's not a mediator that can put both his hand on me as a man and both his hand on him as God. Now, the thing is, there is a mediator who can do both. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. First Timothy 2, 5, you have to turn there. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He says, neither is there any daysman betwixt us. He's, he's calling out for a mediator. He said, let him take his rod away from me and let him not uh, his fear terrify. Then would I speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. So at the end of the the chapter here, he's calling out for a mediator. He says, neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand uh, 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 upon us both. You say, why do you need that, Job? Verse 32, for he is not a man as I am. He says, there needs to be a mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Here's what's interesting. Throughout this chapter, there's kind of been this, these hints, these foreshadows about Jesus. Let me show them to you quickly. We'll finish up. Verse 8. He's talking about God, right? Which alone spreadeth out the heavens. Then he says this, and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. The word tread means to walk. And of course, this is Jesus. You don't have to turn there, Matthew 14, 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves for the wind was contrary and in the fourth watch of the night Jesus went unto them walking on the sea so Jesus walked on the sea and Job refers to the fact that God treadeth upon the waves of the sea then in Job 9:11 he says this lo he goeth by me and i see him not he passeth on also but i perceive him not he says he walks by me and i don't even notice him here's what's interesting john 8:59 remember after jesus said before abraham was i am and they they took up stones to stone him notice what the bible says you don't have to turn there john 8:59 then took they up stones to cast at him but jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. So these, this mob wanted to kill Jesus. He just walks right by them. And they don't even notice him. And Job says, Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I perceive him not. And then Job ends the chapter by saying, I need that day's men that'll stand betwixt us, that he might lay his hand upon us both. And see, the, the, the beautiful thing, you say, this God, you know, God seems kind of I don't know, like, I can't argue with him, I can't stop him, I can't be innocent before him. But here's the thing, God, Jesus, and the sermon's already gone longer than it can, and I'm not going to do another part, so let me just say this. Jesus resolves all those issues. You understand that? You say, I can't argue with God, but he's our mediator between God and men. He's our advocate, the Bible says. In fact, we can enter into the throne room of God and pray. You say, under your authority? No, but I can pray in his name. That's why we end every prayer by saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Why? Because it is Jesus that gives us the right to speak to God. You say, how do you stop the wrath of God in Jesus? When I'm in Christ, he stops. Not because of me, because of him. 
You say, uh, how do you keep yourself from hardening yourself against God? In Jesus. Jesus says, hey, take my yoke upon you. He says, he says, my burden is light. He says, you cannot be just before God, but I can be just before God in Jesus. Because he is the only one that can stand between God and men. Put his hand on both. The man Christ Jesus. Let's bow our heads in our word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for Job chapter 9 and just all the truth that we can uh, see out of it and learn out of it. And Lord, I, I pray you'd help us to just realize who God is. Lord, help us to realize who God is. When things don't go our way, when we don't agree with it, when we think that something wrong has happened, help us to remember. He is the potter, we are the clay. But Lord, also help us to be thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man, who is able to put his hand both on us and him. Because we can't reach him because he is not a man like we are. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the Bible, the consistency of Scripture. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to study the Bible. And I pray, Lord, you help our hearts to be prepared because we may one day go through something difficult and just help us to always remember who God is and who we are. He doesn't owe us an answer. And we don't get to argue with God. We love you. In the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ,